Hello, I'm Jay Goodwin, and you're listening to Pay It Forward. Today on Pay It Forward, we have Donovan Triplett. If you look through Donovan's LinkedIn, you'll see somebody who has really made his way through the advertising industry and does a lot to give back, such as his position as advisory board member for AdColor. Uh, Donovan is currently a senior strategist at Megara Jesse, and he describes himself as someone who finds the truth and makes it compelling, sometimes with data, sometimes with Jay-Z. I describe him as someone who inspired me, maybe without even knowing it. So Donovan, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for, for having me. Of course. So I actually want to start uh, this episode a little different. Uh, I want to start with a story. And I want to flash back to the summer of 2017. So I was uh, an account planning intern at BBDO San Francisco. Um, and I always tell people, that's like when I figured out, oh, like, this is what I actually want to do. Like, this is dope. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wanted to do strategy at a creative agency. And um, I had like gotten an, a, like a verbal offer to go back um, after I finished my last two semesters of grad school, but you know, life happened and <laughs> things changed. Mm -hmm. And so flash forward to February of 2018. Um, they let me know, they were like, Hey, like, we're not gonna be able to bring you back. Like, we'd be happy to like help you figure out, you know, whatever recommendation letters we got you. And so I remember just like, I kind of like spiraled for a couple of days and I was, cause I had like this ideal vision of the future, which was definitely including me going back to San Francisco. And then that was kind of like pulled from under the rug. And so I decided, okay, let me like, let me start from square one. Let me reach out to some people, like see if anybody else has had to deal with this. Like how do people get to where they are? And I just started messaging people on LinkedIn and you were like one of the few people who actually like responded, but like, and I had like responded back, like, thank you so much for like, you know, taking the time and blah, blah, blah. And then you like gave me more advice and you were like, yeah, like do X, Y, Z. And then like this, this is why. And I was like, oh shit. All right, cool. And so that's when I kind of was like, all right, like I just had a setback. I'm still going to figure this out. Like, and uh, so I don't know, you inspired me then. And so I just wanted to start off the episode with that and say, thank you for talking to me then and talking to me now <laughs> man well I, I appreciate that that's that's crazy it's um it's so strange how you know you can get caught up in and just like work and and life and um you know doing whatever it is that's right in front of you and it's it's easy to kind of overlook those little moments and 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 100 don't want to paint the picture that i'm like responding to every single person <laughs> that hits me up a lot of people hit me up uh i think i think for for, for me particularly whenever I see black people, specifically black men um, who are doing something similar to what I do, there just are so few of us. Mm -hmm. And there just aren't as many people who ha have that sort of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna give him advice. It's like, ah, who's this kid kind of thing. Because um, it's actually funny, I've only, I've only met maybe three other like um, black planning slash strategy directors. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I think, it, in my career and i think there's been different people i've you know myself looked up to in different spaces and you find them you latch onto them but i think i don't know it's it's a small community and is a, a much smaller 
community of us in there. So uh, I'm, I'm glad I was able to help you with that. Oh, definitely. And um, I wanted to start with that to sort of set the scene. Um, and so I want to ask you a little bit about you first. So where are you from? So I'm from Florida, which isn't something I'm super proud of ever. <laughs> I think, you know, Florida is constantly, it's funny, I'm, I'm, I live in Texas right now, I'm in Austin, and I'm from Florida. So both of my states are really just embarrassing me constantly. Yeah. But from grew up in Daytona Beach originally, and went to school in Florida, and then I've kind of been a few different places in between Austin. Yeah. So I've got one friend, I don't think he's in Austin anymore, but I think he's from there or he went to UT Austin and he interned mm -hmm. with me at San Francisco. Um, oh, cool. If we could flash back to when you were growing up, what did you think you wanted to be? <laughs> I, I was kind of all over the place. At one point I wanted to be a chef. At one point I wanted to be a lawyer maybe. And I, I ended up majoring in advertising and, and entering the industry, but I think that wasn't really so much for me having this like, clarity on like this is exactly what I wanted to be my dad just happened to major in marketing and I was like oh I, I like I'll do that and then I was like I don't really want to be in a business school and so I just chose advertise this was back when like the catalog was on in like a newspaper kind of thing and I was like oh advertising seems cool I'll do that and then I ended up really really enjoying it but I think it was it's one of those things you know, it's a, it's a, it's a funny, funny sort of question of like, what did you want to be growing up? Because I think there's just, particularly for, for black kids, there's just a, such a narrow lane of things that get talked about as like what you can even be. Yeah. I think there's sort of, I, I think we've kind of been at the bottom of society for so long that there's this push toward like, you know, oh, what's at the top? Okay, doctor, lawyer. And like, if you want to help people, either doctor or teacher. And I think there's just this very narrow idea of what you can, like what success means. Cause like, that's what we see on television or that's what we imagine to be successful. And there's just all of these just crazy things that you would just never like, I mean, advertising people like, oh, do you do sales? Like, no, it's not sales. It's like, there's this whole world of, you know, creativity from like, you know, oh, I don't draw, so I can't be in advertising. Like it's it, like design is one piece of it. There's strategy, there's all these other things. Mm -hmm. And so I think even when I was in school, I found myself just like, oh, people don't even, black people don't even know, that's a generalization, but I think people, a lot of people don't know what all you can do. And I think if like, if like, I don't know, you don't have better fodder for your dreams, they get narrow real quick. Um, and I, 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 you know, stumbled into this career and ended up really enjoying it but i think a big piece of what i hope to be a, a part of is just letting people know more about what all is is out there no absolutely i think that um a lot of it is parents i want to say sometimes um on the more personal level uh mm -hmm. <laughs> so my dad's a nurse practitioner and for the like he used to joke and i, I like i was a kid and he would joke yeah, if you become a doctor, we can like work together. And I kid you not, like, I don't remember when it happened, but at some point I was like, oh, well, guess I'm going to be a doctor so I can hang out mm -hmm. with my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was pre-med and then I ran into organic chemistry and was like, oh, mm, I'm a, nah. I'm a, that's not my lane, man. So, 
Okay, so you've been at a couple of agencies. I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but right now you are a senior strategist at Magura Jesse. So yes. uh, what drew you there? Yeah, so when I got out of college, I did this program called MAPE, which is like an internship program specifically for diverse people in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so I got placed into this agency in Kansas City, which uh, is an independent agency there called Barkley. And got to do some cool stuff there, ended up swinging from there to starting my actual like full-time career in Atlanta, mm -hmm. which is where I was when you hit me up first at BBDO in Atlanta. And I was there for kind of the formative years of my career for about four years. And then I was at this point where it's funny, my, I sat down and like um, had my annual review with my boss at the time. And she was basically like, you know, people love you, you're doing great, you gotta be gone in a year. And I was like, wait, what? It was like this record scratch moment. Yeah. And but what, what she, we had a really close relationship and really what she was saying is that like, like if you just continue to stay here, you're gonna be stifled and you're not gonna grow. Mm. And so I, I kind of took that moment as like, a, oh, like I'm comfortable here, things are going well, I'm doing things I like, but it's like, yeah, I, I do need to go find something different. And so, uh, you know, started looking for different gigs. I think I always had in my mind, like, oh, I want to work in New York. And I think advertising, particularly, there's this like fantasy around the New York ad life. And so obviously I wanted to see like, oh, like, you know, a little bit of ego in that of, of you know, ah, like I want to prove I can make it there too. Yeah. And, and so I was doing that, that interview process and, and was talking to a couple of places and then I hadn't really heard about my Garrett Jesse an independent recruiter connected me and I started, I knew one person who I actually interned with uh, who worked there. And so I talked to him about it. People said good things about it. And, and I ended up getting an, an offer and, and got to this, this space of, you know, do I accept this opportunity that like from a cool city to cool place that's doing cool stuff, or do I keep trying to push and, and, and get into New York? And I, I kind of got to the point where I kind of had this moment of reflection of like, it, it, am I am I more concerned about ego than growth? Mm. Am I is is it more important for me to satisfy this itch of proving myself in a place, or do I want to be in a space where I can learn and and actually grow much quicker? Because you know, it's about 150 people. They have still big, very big accounts. I work on Lyft there, but it's in this environment where like potentially I could have more access to to do and more of a stage to to, to perform. And so I ended up choosing it to go there for that reason. And it's, it's been, it's been so many things, a lot of the things I, I didn't imagine it was going to be. Um, but a lot of, so many of the things I need, it's, it's been exactly what I needed. And I think I, I ended up making the right choice. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're definitely going to come back to some things in there probably later. Um, <laughs> cool. But when we last talked, um, you had a few things on your mind that you wanted to talk about and they were, you know, the black experience in these times, um, strategy and branding and how those tie into diversity efforts, um, the realities of working in an agency, and uh, the abstract idea of professionalism and how you present yourself as a Black person at work. So yeah. where do you want to <laughs> start? Whole, I hate that. I hate that read back. I sound like <laughs> such an asshole. Like, no, those uh, are like, those are gigantic topics. But, uh, where do you want to start? <laughs> Um, man, um, the black, let's talk about the black experience. Um, maybe, maybe let's talk about, I guess the, the last one you did mention about professionalism probably okay. ties most closely to, to all of the things. Um, so it's just been a thing that I've been 
thinking about a lot lately. I think, um, you know, we're at a moment where um, we're still sort of in the wake of, of, you know, the murdering of George Floyd and, mm-hmm. and the uprisings that have followed. And I think specifically within advertising, the industry is sort of, you know, in 2020 coming to this realization that racism is no really, really real and really, really urgent. Uh, yeah. And like, we need to be doing things. And I think it's, it's this moment where there's, there's an urgency to want to do things, but I think a misunderstanding of all of the ways in which racism and white supremacy have affected like their agencies and their employees and specifically their black employees. And so um, I w- it's fun. I was listening, I was listening to uh, like two, like just on a run, two back-to-back songs came on. One was Sorry, uh, T.I. Uh, like featuring Andre 3000, and specifically Andre 3000's verse, which is an incredible verse. Just, I don't know, if you haven't listened to it in a while, I haven't heard it, go back and check that out. It's Definitely just, about to cue it up. <laughs> um, but so it was that, and then like right after that was the Jay-Z remix of uh, We Made It. Hmm. And both songs for different reasons kind of just started t- my, the wheels turning in my head. And, and the next day I ended up um, writing a note to my agency um, that I was gonna start using the N-word at work which okay uh, <laughs> and, and people people can't see your face but it was like a, oh all right all right um, okay. all right <laughs> and that that was that was the same reaction like a, a few people uh, not when i sent it but like that i just mentioned that i was about to do it mm-hmm. um but the reason though is um really just getting at um you know what what how we arrived at our idea of what it means to be professional I think um, if you think about the professional workplace and sort of its legacy and history, and um, you know, originally in America, it's just white men, right? It's just like white men filled companies and agencies, and they sort of created the rules of what it means to, to how it means to um, be professional in that space. And later on, white women started to enter the workforce more, and then so it's like you have these two forces that are deciding from their point of view what it means to be professional. Right. And then later on, as as more companies get integrated um, and we're still frustratingly in the integration process but as more companies get integrated the and people are starting to you know especially younger people like graduating from college and then you're like entering the workforce and you're like seeing oh how do people act this is how i'm supposed to act okay now i act this way and really I, i think it's for me i just started to think about what are what are all the things we i that we just think are normal that are only normal because it came from a white perspective and a, a white experience. Like mm-hmm. if you think about professionalism, none of how it was made was considering the black experience because we weren't the workforce. We weren't the people who like were making the rules. And so, you know, um, you know, even in college, you know, they, they, they make it a point like, you know, make sure you like, you know, dress up, you put a tie, you look presentable, like don't wear your chain, don't wear your earrings, like, you know, take all that off because you got to be professional. And it's mm-hmm. like, uh, really what you're actually saying is like you gotta be presentable for white people and make them feel like you're safe and smart and 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 do work in order to prove that you're capable and i think the results of that is ending up i think there's this 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 pride in co- like code switching like there's this pride in like yeah of course like i got like i can like get you get you a man that can do both you can, <laughs> yeah. like you know perform in the boardroom and get turned in the club mm-hmm. and there's this this um and really in many ways it's it's like a being bilingual 
almost where it's like you know the language of like how you interact with your friends and your family or whatever right. and then you also can have the language of the professional workforce but um i think while, while yes that is absolutely a skill part of code switching also is shrinking right like mm -hmm. you're bringing less of your your the tools you have at your disposal to work like your communication like where whereas you might you might describe even something as trivial as like you know telling a joke or like describing situation like your language that you would use with your homeboys you now have a smaller arsenal right. inside of work and what like the effects of that though and i think the really the, the note was kind of like in part about the n-word but it was really more about like shrinking um and i think the effect of that is is you bring less of yourself to the office like you're and me in the creative industry it's like you know we we're an industry that 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 fuels is fueled by ideas and fueled at, by like mismatched things coming together and making something original and, and exciting and, and like fueled by bringing cultural pieces and, and mixing them together and like like making something dope to put out on tv or put out on um you know as an experience or whatever and it's like if the conversations that we're having that we're thinking up these things i'm only bringing the piece of me that's conformed to the whiteness then it's like it's just perpetuating that kind of dominant form of thinking and so uh for me like my kind of way in making that out was like i'm gonna start saying the n-word now like what's the most extreme version of like what is not supposed to be here um and and so it's it's actually we have like we only have like five black employees but i've now been in a, multiple different meetings where each of us have like said nigga in the meeting and yeah. like literally like meeting like zooms with like the whole agency and i'll be like shout out my nigga jeremy and <laughs> it's it's I love it, it. Honestly, it's it's this like feeling of freedom that like I can't I can't fully describe, but I've been able to create this space to have it, and it's like no one was going to give me that freedom, but now by me sending that note, it's extended to other like everyone else who's black, and even if they're not black, it's it you know the same for like um, you know mothers who apologize for having to like. Um, um, you know, go and breastfeed or like, you know, uh, what, like fill in the blank of whatever's not supposed to happen in mm. inside of work. And it's, it's just um, one of those things that I, I think we got to start to poke at a lot of these ideas that we just consider as like, oh, it's harmless. It's like, no, you're actually not as confident as you would be if you, if you like, like, it, it's kind of like you get stiff in an interview. Um, when you're talking to a white person, but then a black person comes on, and you're like, all right, let me relax a bit, and it's cool. Uh, but it's like, what if you had that confidence with everyone? Right. Like that's that's freedom. That's what we need to get to. Yeah. No, I. That's amazing. First of all, and I wrote down a couple of things. Um, so, the first thing is you said you mentioned like perform in the boardroom, and mm -hmm. uh, when I was prepping for this, I had actually written down like. Um, you know, I was going to be like, I'm going to go out on a limb and soon and like, I was going to be like, tell me if I'm wrong. But part of what I wrote down was, you know, we're kind of really talking about identity performance, right? Mm -hmm. And intersectionality. And do you have the authority of yourself, like the agency of your, like your own being in the moment to be mm -hmm. yourself? Right. Like if you have to code switch, no. If you are like really shrinking your entire presentation of yourself which is your identity then no and kind of what it sounds like out of that is more you know, how can we take back some of um 
ourselves and be nonconformist in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because ultimately you're bringing if you once you get to that space, you're bringing a high, high higher performing person, mm -hmm. right? Like you bring like you're 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 um, pulling in your full arsenal of communication. You're pulling in your full confidence. Like you're 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 pulling in all these things that for so many white people they have naturally, and it's like a thing that like you can you can not realize. That you're like even even I think people who are high performers in the black people who are high performers in the workplace are missing a piece of themselves that like actually could be like they could be even further, um, and it's a thing that I don't know I think um, I think to get to that point where like that, that's just normal is obviously going to take a, a, a while and and there's the discomfort of like saying nigga around a white person <laughs> is just a little bit uncomfortable but it's like I don't know I'm of the belief that. Um, the people who created the thing to harm you shouldn't be I, it's it's almost like um what was uh, it's uh it's sort of like you've been beaten with a cane uh and then you turn it into a walking stick and then the person who beat you said that you can't bring your walking stick to work mm. and it's it's like you know it's like I flipped this thing that you used to hurt me into a thing that actually now I use however I want and now you're telling me I can't like, wait, how does, how does, how does a white person tell a black person they can't say nigga? Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, exactly with everything that you're saying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, how do you police my like flipping of something that you've used to literally like hurt me? You know what I'm saying? Um, right. Uh, so what's, uh, well, what's our first step? And you said, you know, like, and obviously it is going to take a while to, to get to a place where everybody feels comfortable bringing their full self, you know, to work in that way. But what's our, what's our first step? Uh, what would you suggest to, um, you know, someone who looks around, doesn't see a lot of black people and wants to at least sort of take some of that authority back? Yeah. I mean, I, I think really the, for me, the first step is just like noticing what's missing. Right. It's like, um, I think you can just kind of get in the routine of like, oh, this is what's meant to happen or this is how I'm meant to look. And it's like, okay, right, this is what's right. And like, you just kind of keep ro rolling with it. And I think um, for me, my, at least my personal first step was just kind of like taking a second look and like, why do I think this thing is so normal, right? Like why, um, like there was a, uh, when I was at BBDO, there was this, this like, it was like a Thursday, Friday, where like on a Thursday, we had a group of, of students come through from like Florida State. And then the Friday was like um, a black organization from University of Missouri. Um, and the Thursday, you know, mostly white kids in the Florida State group. And they came and, you know, advertising agencies is pretty casual. And like all the people, like people from Florida State, they were kind of wearing like, you know, jeans, some had button ups, a couple had t-shirts, like it was um you know it kind of presentable but it wasn't dressy at all right and then the black group that came everybody had on slacks tie white shirt dresses skirts like yeah. it was and you could just in this this jarring moment just see the conditioning and the lack of conditioning in both groups like mm -hmm. for black the conditioning that you've got to put on extra to perform in this space and for the white kids, it's just like, oh, that's the culture. They're like, we'll match that, and it's cool. Yeah. Um. And and so I think it's 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 this tricky thing where, um, things that seem like 
skills and, and, and good attributes, the ability to dress up, the, the discipline to speak properly, like the um, awareness to be able to, to cater to who you're speaking with um, and sort of the, the knowledge to know when, what's right for when. I think all of those things, they sound good. They sound like skills and they are to an extent, um, but they're also weights and burdens and extra pounds of pressure on like black people that like everyone else just doesn't have. Mm. Um, and so I think just starting to recognize those, those moments and kind of like, whether it's in self-reflection or whether it's in, um, you know, small discussions, like when you notice something, talking with your boss about it and like, hey, I noticed this thing is like, it's like hindering my performance. And I feel like if I'm able to do this or if I'm able to act this way in this situation, I'm gonna perform, I'm gonna, I'm gonna perform a little better in that situation. Like, how do you feel about it? Because I think, um, you know, do, go through the proper channels, have the, con like people are people like they, especially right now, like white, more, white people are realizing they are blinded to a lot of shit. And so mm -hmm. I feel like now is the time to snatch as much freedom as you can. Yeah, well, uh, about the, the story with the, the black students, I, I can see my mom right now, like basically telling me to put on my Sunday best. Mm -hmm. um, and and like, I think it goes both ways. I feel like part of you know the saying is like, and you you like dress dress good, you'd like do good. You know, there's that, that whole like performance thing about like yeah. feeling better about how you're presented. But at the same time, you're already outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. If you're not dressing up in a suit every day, mm -hmm. and now you're like aware that you're in the mm -hmm. suit and it's not natural mm -hmm. for you, you're already off. Yep. You know. Yeah. You can't be yourself. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like there's, there's that, you know, famous study that, you know, they took a group of people who weren't in the medical profession and they had them take a, t a test with their regular clothes. And then um, they took a different group and had them take that same test wearing a, a white coat, like a doctor's white coat. Mm -hmm. And they found that like the, the people with the coat on performed better because like simply putting on something that they, they associated with smart or professional or, or um, successful kind of made their brain loosen up and feel they felt more confident in the, in the exam. And I think, uh, I think people have, have taken that information and, and um, led you to believe that, oh, it's dressing up that is the thing that makes you perform better. But to me, I interpret that study as putting on something that gives you comp that, that symbolizes confidence mm -hmm. is, a thing that helps you perform better. So for me, like, I, like, um, you know, uh, I just started, I just started wearing chains. Like that's never been like a thing that I really did, but mm -hmm. like, you know, I was like, ah, let me get a couple, couple gold chains. And it's not like, I'm not su a super flashy guy or whatever. Um, but you know, cause they're like super simple. I got like one on now. Um, but I started wearing them like I was doing interviews like like interviewing for, for things and like wearing the chains. And like I would either wear them tucked or like one out. And like, I felt myself feel like more, more confident in my skin just mm -hmm. by like, for me, this symbol of, of for me, it was kind of this symbol of almost my emancipation almost. And I like, I'm not trying to get super like Lakeith Stanfield, like crazy, like whatever. <laughs> um, but I think um, for me, you know, confidence is is like is like being knowing i'm intelligent knowing i'm capable knowing all these things about my professional self while still having like you know free form locks and like you know a t-shirt and a chain like i think those things for me actually help me perform better 
Yeah. Uh, and if I were to like decide, like it, it's almost like in the moments that matter most, like, you know, high stakes meetings, um, interviews, like in the, literally in the moments that you need the most confidence, we strip away the things that give us confidence. And we, we replace them with these stiff, stuffy, like suits that we never, like, that's such a good point that you made. Like you, you'd never wear this thing. Right. And suddenly you put it on and like, of course you're going to feel uncomfortable. Like you're, you're in a white space and you got a thing you got, you never put on. Um, and, and so I think obviously there's a line of figuring out how you, how you do it appropriately, how you, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you don't, you don't like, we're still at a place where you can still be judged for certain things. So I think you just got to be aware of that, but also know that like, and what's going to make me perform at my highest level? Is it this chain and t-shirt or is it this suit? And if it's the chain and t-shirt, fucking wear the chain and t-shirt. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm gonna have to uh, follow up with you and get your uh, chain recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a couple of black owned spots that I, I like, uh, oh, yes. uh, got some from. Yes, I definitely have to get you to send those my way. But I mean, that's such a good point. It's just like, for so long, you've been conditioned to, if you're going to a job fair, if you're going, like, I remember I did, like, they called it an externship, but it was literally just a group of us went, like, to this place and, like, shadowed them mm -hmm. for, like, half a day. And I remember, like, I wore, like, these super uncomfortable, like, dress shoes mm -hmm. and, like, like so uncomfortable that you have to like walk different. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like so, I'm just thinking back. Like, I mean, it's wild. And so, I don't know if I'm ever in a, a position. I think where I can influence. I guess at least from like an HR perspective, mm -hmm. I, I, I would probably say that like one of the first things I would I would I guess I would want to change is like let people interview, like how they want to interview you know and, and yeah. i feel like especially now that most interviews are going to be virtual at least mm -hmm. for a little while like that shouldn't be a knock on somebody that they show up uh in whatever makes them feel the most comfortable or like they're going to do the best job right 100 percent. yeah okay so what's what's next we still got <laughs> strategy branding uh and i drew an arrow to diversity efforts and the reality of working in an agency yeah yeah so i mean so i'm in i'm in strategy and like specifically in like um brand planning and creative strategy that sort of thing mm -hmm. and and so there we're we're naturally wired to just see 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 kind of the full field and like what what are the, the dominoes that are in place that are making a person react in this way and like what there's all sort of behavioral economics and there's all sort of like on just understanding how people um how people operate and what are the consequences of people being put in a certain certain situations. And so for me, I'm, um, I do that as my job, but also have a, a passion for diversity and inclusion and equity. And so um, wherever I've been, I've always had a hand in the, the, the efforts there. And, and I think when you have, when you have a brain, it's kind of wired to see the gaps and the potential. I think you just, all, and, and then you put that, that, those, that, uh, those eyes, toward all of the things wrong with diversity in a space like it's like you you see them constantly from from interviews where you know pe people are just casually sitting in chairs or now sitting on zooms and just like getting a feel for the candidate and like oh are they going to be a good fit and it's like even the language of good fit 
automatically predisposition predisposes you to to want to bring in a person that fits your worldview, your point of view, like your your what you're comfortable and familiar with. And for so many places, it's like that's white. So many places that's male. So many places that's cis. Whatever the the blank you want to fill in. And I think um, I'm working right now to like. Um, basically write something that will be sent to each interviewer uh, that kind of will be at the top of, of whatever their, um, like their, their invitation to the interview, basically to the effect of, of um, like we're, we're looking like who's gonna, who's gonna add the most to, to, to our mix, right? Mm -hmm. Like rather than like fitting in, it's, it's like cultural add, like if, what deficit are we filling? If, yeah. you know, I think of it like, um, you know, basketball, if, if you've got a, if you've got a team full of Larry Birds, you know, get Larry Bird's great. Getting another one's not going to help your team. You need a point guard. Like you need a big man. You need like, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, I think so many places have, have romanticized the kind of skill set that they have and are overlooking, you know, for instance, within creatives specifically, there's like, um, you know, this tendency like, oh, it's all about the book. It doesn't matter who you are, or what you, what, like, it's all about the book and the work. And I think what that kind of thinking does is it strips away the value of a person's particular cultural difference brains, right? Like if you're, if no one in your creative department knows what's going on in black Twitter, you are at a deficit. Actually that you need someone black to, to tap you into culture uh, and you won't be as good with a brilliant writer who's always on Reddit and always like <laughs> does like other shit. Yeah. Um, and, or just like, I don't know, views, views I think, they're white people who kind of claim to get black culture, but it's almost like, you know, sort of this, this, uh, it's always arm's length. It's like you, you have a secondhand perspective of the thing. So there's like things like that. Um, things like figuring out how do you more consistently getting, get diversity into the actual creative, like what are the barriers in front of, um, in front of that and, and those sort of things. So I, I, I could go on, but, uh, but yeah, it's something I'm super passionate about. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And um, I love the sort of reframing of good fit um, to cultural ad. I, that makes so much sense hearing you say that. Um, but what's interesting is I feel like agencies, when they talk about themselves and they talk about the ideal candidate that they're looking for they're always like we want the like off the wall person who like has interest doing something completely random and like they're so different and they don't think like us and then next thing you know it's like okay but who's going to be the actual like the good fit you know what i'm saying so it's just like interesting yeah how different those are yeah it's it's this it's this thing where um and it's actually like there's this thing you'll notice if you if you like um like you know talking to enough people in the industry where you'll you'll um so many white people speak about like you know diversity and sense of like it's like as if it's this brilliant insight that diversity also means diversity of thought i think they hold this like and also diversity of thought to be this 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 you know, wisdom that is actually propping them up to kind of see the field in a bigger way than kind of the box that diversity has been sat in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's bullshit. I think people um, very obviously need diversity of thought, but if you're, if your way to get there is to, to, to step on top of the need, like 
the focus on diversity of ethnicity and gender and all those things in order to like elevate to this kind of tier of like, no, it's really about it. But then you're, it's like you're missing the point. Like there was this program, um, there was this program that this company had done um, that was all about getting more diverse creatives into the building. And um, it was like a, a fellowship that selected, I think like five creatives. And um, they, um, it was in an advertising agency and program had been going well. And then one year they picked a white man to be in the program. And their rationale was that he was coming from, I think like the film industry or something. So it's like, he was bringing that diversity of thought and that, that they felt like they want. So they, like they filled a slot met for like ethnic diversity with a white man with all of the privileges yeah and it's like i think that's when i think that's what the issues that come up when people um when people put all of the levels of diversity on the same level mm. like as if they all have the same amount of barriers and i think that the barriers are really what key and that's what equity is all, all about right it's like it's not just recognizing what categories have a disadvantage it's recognizing the depth of the disadvantage um, across the categories and like we need to, and it's okay to focus on the ones who are at the most disadvantaged. Like I'm, in my opinion, I think efforts to just focus, like to focus on black women, like they're at the bottom. Like if you fix, if you can, if you can clear the runway for black women, you will have cleared the runway for everyone. Mm. Like li literally everyone. Uh, and it's this thing that I think um, people just don't get, I don't know if they don't get fully or just like have too much arrogance in, um you know their ideas and they're like holding diversity of thought to be this thing that like we it, it's it's colorblind and it's 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 from wherever and it's like no like you gotta you gotta you gotta take into account people's de the deficit people are going running with yeah no absolutely and while we're talking about this i wanted to um ask uh you know since we're talking about diversity efforts and that sort of thing i wanted to talk to you a little bit about ad color um, so I, I think that, uh, what was it that you do? You are, um, an advisory board member, uh, with Ad Color. And I think I saw that you, um, co-lead a subcommittee. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I co-lead one of the committees. It's called like the university committee, which is really just, um, a, our, our emphasis is professional development for the Ad Color Futures, which mm -hmm. is uh, a group of 30, like, um, kind of people one to three years in their career and um, kind of all, from all across the country who are super like high potential, but also doing a lot in diversity. And so we're like putting on programming for, for them. But I think this year, particularly with, with that color being virtual, I really just wanted to take it as an opportunity to like, what else can we do? Like what, what haven't we done there? What have, what, what's a need that we can fill? Um, and so we've created a couple different things. One, one, just recognizing that so many like we at color futures is a program that's been going on for eight years now i think this mm -hmm. is the ninth year and so you know we've got this giant network of people who are like you know at all levels in their career and when COVID hit like so like a lot of them have been laid off right and like they're kind of left to themselves to fend for themselves and I, I think um you know so many organizations like call themselves community but it's like when it's time to be a community like are you going to show up and so yeah. Um, we created this thing where uh, basically we, we, we have all these sponsors around the country from like Microsoft and Google and Apple and Wyden Kennedy and all these places. And um, 
you know, can we, hey, knock on the door, are you all available to like, you know, can we funnel anyone who's been affected by COVID to you all, just if you have opportunities, you may not, but like start conversations, whatever. Um, so I think we, we made that, and I'm actually really proud of, of, of that, and that's been going well. Um, and a couple other things, like we, um, um, I think one of, one of my frustrations with just in actually implementing change in, in terms of diversity is has been, it isn't as if there's this silver bullet, but it's like people have found answers, they're just scattered. Right? It's like Google has figured out some things, like Widen has figured out some things, like BBDO has figured out, I mean, like everyone is just, you know, like they're just doing their own thing. Right. And there's not really like a, a um, there's not really, I think there's a share mentality when it comes to sitting on panels, but there's not really a share mentality when it comes to what's a universal source that we can all go to, to like put our solutions and, and, and exchange them. And, um, and so we, I've been like facilitating these groups, these small groups of, of um, folk that are, you know, at their respective companies doing diversity work. And it's like, Hey, what's working? Like, what, what have you done that's worked? What, what, ha what have you tried that didn't end up working? What are some resources? And we're in the process of like compiling those things um, to make them available to the industry, which hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to get done soon. And, and hopefully it'll be like this little a la carte menu of like, Hey, try this. Yeah. Yeah. It almost sounds like, like open sourcing. Uh, yeah. Let's just like get it out there so everybody can, cause I mean, not everything will work for every organization, but if you have, um, you know, case studies, if it is that, you know, whatever the case is, like, here's some things that have worked at these places and why try it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so how did you first, um, sort of like come across ad color and, and get involved with them? So when I did MAPE in 2014, um, I, I did the program in Kansas City. I ended up like winning an award. And because I won that award, I basically got like a slot, um, a slot into the Ad Color Futures program. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I had heard of Ad Color before. Maybe I'd heard of it, and, but um, uh, I just, I got a slot into that program. And so I did that in 2014. And then I, I think this is my third, third year being on the board. Um, this is one of those things you kind of just like, you know, you get connected first. It's just this eye opening thing where, you know, you just, I think everyone's, we're all prisoners to our context. So it's like, you know, when you, when you growing up in your hometown, your world is your hometown. When you go to college, your eyes are open and it's like, Oh, all this is out here. It's like, and like you, you adapt to that space. And when you get into your job and it's like, Oh, this is what corporate America is like. And I think what I, the, the, the cool thing that ad color did is like going there. It's, it's like it's almost like this fake world right it's like it's just like all of these super successful accomplished people but all of them are diverse mm. or like most of them are different and you're just like looking around and you're like seeing like super black successful black men like you're seeing super black um you're seeing super successful like whatever the case may be trans um you know women whatever uh differing abilities i mean it's just like all together in this space of like wow like this is it's just like this almost um this is such an enriching feeling of of feeling both seen and, and being able to exist in a professional space at your most comfortable right because again going back to the code switching thing it's like existing in this space of professionalism because it's like you know people are, are doing in your industry 
but you're having the conversations are so fucking casual and because it's like you have this this common ground of connection and it's like whoa like you think start like what if i could be this version of me at work like that would like it, i've actually brought a couple of my coworkers um there last year that last year's actually that was in person in la and um like I kept like leaving them and like coming back and they were just like all stiff and rigid and like, <laughs> like wanting me to like bring them around. And, and like, it hit me that they've never experienced what it feels like to be a minority. Mm. And they like, they've never experienced what it feels like to be the other, to be the white guy or the white woman right. um, in a space that you're not, you're not the natural majority. And, um, and like, I think if you flip that discomfort into the rip back when we, when we, as soon as we touched down in Austin, it's flipped yep. and like I had my little week and they had their little year. <laughs> and, um, and I think that's a thing that I don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible to underestimate. Oh, for sure. Um, well, since we're talking about professional spaces, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about agency life and uh, you brought this up, but the reality of working in agency life. Um, so, I already told you like when I was in San Francisco, like that was such an eye-opening experience for me because I had kind of known I wanted to maybe do this and I had been sort of angling for it for a while. Um, but I mean, I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. That was my first time, like, first of all, in an agency of any kind. Mm -hmm. um, I literally, so I had the choice of, you know, like interning at any of the five BBDOs here in the U.S. and I guess there's now six since there's LA. Um, but I chose San Francisco because it was the farthest from home. And Real. so like I went across the country, like had never really been on my own, like, you know, and so I think that part of why I liked it so much was because there was so much new stuff happening for mm -hmm. me at that one moment. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask, like, um, did you have an expectation of what, agency life might have been before you were there and then kind of like how your your first sort of experiences with agencies uh, matched up to that yeah I think I I think my going back to being just kind of a prisoner to where you're at my I didn't even my imagination wasn't even big enough mm. it, like when I was in college I kind of quote-unquote interned at this like creative or this ad agency but it was really more of like brochures kind of thing and it was like just two people and these like little it was almost like a house um and like you kind of had squeezed by everything and so um i knew i knew that working in an agency was more than that but my first real introduction into an agency was an internship at gwt in new york and i remember literally going like just the feeling of walking into that meal I'd never been to New York before um you know so that's my first time in New York walking into that building on Lexington Avenue and like going up the elevator doors open and you're just like looking around at this world that exists that you never knew did right or if you did know it you never had a people into it and I think um you know there's like television shows and things like that that like give you a, some sense of it. And I think there's probably more now than there were back then. But even still, there is, I think just a, 
almost like a this earth earth shatter not earth shatter but earth shaking like snow globe shaking yeah. experience of of walking in and just seeing this like huge thing and that like you're you've been invited to be participate in it and like at that program there was 30 interns i was the, the only black intern and you just um and for so many of them and so many like that sort of thing is natural i think there's better college programs that like they routinely are like getting tours and things like that we didn't do that or at least i wasn't a part of the group that did that um and so so much of this was super new for me and then um you know going to the agency and and um and Kansas City, even though it's in like Kansas City is a weird place, but like I loved it in Missouri, Missouri side. But that agency, it was like, what? There's a there's a fridge, and like you can just go to the fridge and get whatever. It's full of fruit, and you just grab some fruit and go. Like y'all have a beer on tap. Is there? Where's the dollar machine? Like, oh no, you just <laughs> grab some beer. Um, and just this, people exist differently. Um, and even now, like I'm still experiencing a little bit of that where. Um, my, one of my old bosses, um, she went to work at Facebook. And so I went to, to visit her at lunch at Facebook. And like, um, we go to her cafeteria and she's like, yeah, we got a few different stations. Like we can go to wherever you want, like tacos over here. There's like barbecue over there. It's like, wait, what? And you just go get your food and sit down and like, oh, well, there's ice cream after. Like, it's just, and there's, there's like a little convenience store and like you could pick up like, you know, gummy bears and like, uh, 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 a tea, tea or water or whatever and it's just like free everything is 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 just included you just yeah. grab it eat it leave and it's just like the world is different man it's it's different outside of where you're at and i think um i don't know going back to earlier in the conversation when we talked about like um shallow dreams mm. or narrow dreams rather of just like doctor lawyer rigid kind of the things that are quickly easy to get i think it's hard to put texture to those kind of to other things when you just don't have a, a peephole into that yeah. uh and it's like super readily available for people outside our community and like it's just like we need more exposure man yeah for sure um <laughs> funny your last point there um i think i had actually joked to somebody about this and I was like it's always like the family for me at least the family members that were like the farthest away from like a doctor or a lawyer were always the one like two things either they were like you got to be a doctor or a lawyer or yeah. they were like you need to you need to like fucking go practice because you need to be on the basketball team or something bro and I was like well let me do me like <laughs> don't worry about what I got going on. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred. And it's, it's like, um, it's also frustrating because as black people, we're so naturally creative in so many ways. Mm. And they're just like all of these odds and ends jobs. Like there's like this one white guy who's like created like all these sound effects. And so he's like in studios and like, he'll beat on little random, plastic bottles and whatever and it's like he he's carved out a thing for himself and like that's his his thing and it's like um one other people can do that but then like specifically black like what are all of the weird things like that that like we could come up with and put together to make something dope in a way that it hasn't been done right. before or hasn't been done before and it's like we only get the chance to do that with the space or with the person that's like hey come try this out like we don't like we don't get the chance to try a lot yeah. we like we either have to be excellent and prove or we're working at Marshall's 
And I think, um, you know, and, and that's, that's no knock on anyone. Like, I, I feel like there's also this kind of elitist, um, you know, always, only a certain kind of job is, is worthy of, of, of celebration. Mm. Um, so, and I don't believe, like when they like um, the guy from, from Cosby show, the, uh, the light skin guy, I can't remember his name, but like they had a picture of him working at like- Oh, Hope yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they were like, "Oh, look at how far, like, shut up. like he's he, enjoying his life. Working. Like, fuck your, for, <laughs> fuck your job." So yeah. I don't intend to do that. But for people who want to do something different, I think um, we just need we need this the more space to try, um, and we don't have a lot of space to try. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, since we're on the topic, uh, well, we were on the topic of agencies. There were a handful that I heard in there, and I forgive me because I don't remember the name of one of them. It started with a B, um, and Barkley. I can't remember the name. Barkley. That's that's what it was. Yeah. Um, so I've heard uh, there was JWT, there was Barkley, uh, obviously BBDO, Megara Jesse. So I wanted to ask, like, um, can you talk me through some of the changes um, that you saw in yourself as you went from an intern in strategy to um, a junior planner to a planner to now a senior strategist like what were what were some of the jumps that you had to make as you went from each level to the next yeah that's a good question i think i think the jump from junior strategist to account strat planner um was had a lot to do with confidence and contribution i think early on um, a lot of my job was kind of doing things behind the scenes, like research and like forming point of views on a thing and like going, Hey, what's going like doing man on the street interviews with like yeah. going into a park with a camera and like, Hey, like, what do you think about retirement? And this sort of things that can very easily be done kind of on the low in your own space and time. Um, but I think at a point, you know, I would, I would share my thoughts with my boss and my boss would be the mouthpiece for what I had. And I think, um, uh, when you have capability, but not the confidence to speak about it, I think that is like um, fine, but I think it, it's, it, it'll keep you in a space. And I think like I had to figure out how do I become more confident speaking about my ideas? How do I get more confident? Um, like I've got to a point where like, I know this thing better than anyone else, but like other people are like sharing my thoughts in a way that I would do it better. Like how mm. can I, Get to the point where they need me to talk about it because I, I no one's going to talk about it as well as I can right. um and so I think that was like a big thing for that jump um and I think later on um one of the bigger things was forming my own style I think early on you sort of mimic a lot you'll you know your boss like hey can you share some briefs with me um I'm curious what you like and you you kind of in digest all of their stuff and or like stuff you find on the internet it's like oh that's how you make that like i really like that thing and so it's like it's almost like you know you talk you hear rappers talk about how when they first started like oh i, I used to rap like just like dmx or like i used to rap just like wayne um and then like i think it's the same thing with planning I, like i used to write in a voice that was like the people i was around mm. um and at a point you start to get like you know what's your style and tone and figuring out like, you know, playing with even sentence structures. Like for me, um, like I got to a point where like, you know, the, you got the creative brief and you got like the 
jumping off point, but like people call it different things, the focus line, the strategy, the um, creative, whatever. Um, and I started to realize like, oh, like I'm kind of using the same construct every time, like brand is this for those people or like, you know, um, and I just started to play with different ways to express it. Um, and uh, even the insight, like I think it's there's a tendency to want to make it as smart as possible or like or make it feel impressive right yeah it's like um it's like we because it's like you want to be proud of something you want to you want to want people to especially when you're younger you want people to like see you as smart and so you write it in a way that like feels intelligent and then you get to the point where it's like that doesn't matter if they don't use it like what's how can i just say it more casually right. how would i say it how would i tell a homeboy about it um, and I just started to incorporate more of the language of my natural speaking voice. Um, cause like everyone knows, like, like I think everyone knows how to speak, how they speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like getting to the place where you translate that more into your writing, um, is, is tough, but it, it's, it's, um, super helpful. Uh, and then, I don't know, there was a bunch of other stuff between that and senior strategist. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let me circle back. Um. You mentioned uh, earlier that part of the jump from junior to planner was confidence, contribution, and capability. And so I wanted to ask, as on the confidence piece, um, how did you did you work on that like actively? Like, you know, what did you have to do to to get to the point where you were like, uh, I don't want to say like supremely confident, but where you got to the point where you felt like you could own it, and you felt like um, you could present pretty much whatever it was that you worked on. You know what I mean? Like, how do you get to that yeah. point where you can, you can take it out of your head, but like present it in a way that other people get how, like, uh, what's the word I want? They get how, uh, impassioned you are about whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think part of it was just getting to the point of, of knowing being comfortable accepting that like I was even smart or that like I was even knew how to do my job because I, I think early on you're so much in this like you know there's all the imposter syndrome and oh, um you know I'm still um, in that lack of, of confidence there's all all of that and I think um you sort of um have to get to the p- place where you even accept that like I'm capable of a a, a unique and intelligent thought and and so it's like getting like, once you get there um, which can be, can be tricky. And I think there always comes with a, a little doubt. Um, but I think, um, finding people who you trust that, who you trust to give you honest opinions and like getting that, like, they'll tell you when it's, it's messed up and then tell you when it's actually very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like getting, finding ways to get that validation or whatever it is you need to get that. Um, but I think once you, once you have that getting to the space where, um, um, I think learning how le- learning how to engage a room and like I, I think um, you know for instance even like when I I put my slides together in a very particular way and I think um, a lot of it is like you know you put a, a, a slide with like a bunch of words on it, a bunch of bullets and like people look at the slide they don't their eyes don't know where where to go. Um, and so it's like, okay. And, and so when you're presenting off of a page like that, you can look out in the room and just see people just being confused or like, you know, not being or like doubting you and you like that is a kind of almost the self-fulfilling like 
now that's a cycle of you feeling like they don't hear you or whatever. So part of it is just in the craft of crafting a thing that uh, is easily digestible, that, you know, points audi the audience where you want their eyes to go, points them to a point that brings things to life in an unexpected way. And I think for me, um, a lot of it early on, and even especially now, but early on even was filling my, constantly filling my decks with the things that I was very, I knew no one else was going to talk about and I could talk about very well. So for instance, I would bring in my Kendrick Lamar references mm. or I, like to make a point about something else entirely, or I would bring in, um, you know, a sports analogy that like I can easily talk about and, and, and get the, but you get the point across. And I think part of it is baking in those sort of things that you can, you know, you're going to be speaking about, you know, you can confidently talk about or like personal experiences or whatever the, the thing, whatever your thing is, mm. um, baking those into how you want to communicate your point, because then, you know, you're always just going to like, you're baking in confidence to your, your, your thing. Um, but then, uh, but probably the biggest thing though, if I'm, I'm being super honest is like, I'm a, a person of faith. And so for me, um, I got to this realization that like me, me being worried about whether or not I was going to show up fully isn't just doubting myself, it's doubting God, mm. right? It's like, it's like, I'm, I'm, I claim to have this faith and I, like, I've, I've said this prayer to like, let me, you know, do per perform, let me do well, and then get in the moment and choke up because I'm worried I'm not going to do well. It's like, didn't you just pray about, like, didn't you just say that, that like, didn't you just ask for this strength? It's like you, and so um, I got to a point where like, I realized it's not just doubting yourself, it's doubting God. And like, mm -hmm. that's like, for me, that's a thing that it's like, oh, like now I think about confidence differently. Now I think about showing up differently because it's like, I'm not leaning on my skills. I'm leaning on him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, well, there was, a lot, uh, like I'm, I'm like furiously scribbling down notes over here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I'm actually probably going to say this and then we'll come back to it later. Um, but one of the first things you mentioned in there was, uh, getting validation from key people that you sort of trust within, you know, if, if, if it's your agency or your network, whoever the case is, but people who will tell you when it's good, when it's bad, when you can work on certain things. And yeah. that made me want to ask about mentors, but we'll come back to that in one second. Okay. Um, the other thing, uh, I wrote down was like, point your audience where you want them to go. I, that's just like, I might use that as your episode title. It's like a, <laughs> a, a really good soundbite. Uh -huh. Um, and then the last thing, uh, as far as baking in confidence, um, that's like, I love that so much. Um, and it actually, like, it kind of reminds me of like our, the very first discussion we had, which was like. Uh, how do you be comfortable and bring your full self? And like, mm -hmm. if yeah. you're baking that in when you're doing the research or doing the work, like when it comes presentation mm -hmm. time, that's your t-shirt and your chain. You already built yep. that in there. And so mm -hmm. that's yours. Nobody can take that from you. I love that so much. Yeah. Like, I really love that so much. That's amazing. <laughs> like, I yeah. just put that together and I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can yeah, see my I, face. I mean, I just put I just put it together, so it's like I, it's doing that same thing for me right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing I wanted to say was, um, and this is just a personal thing, but like I noticed that like I get like my body temperature, like I physically get hot when I get mm -hmm. nervous at work, mm -hmm. which 
you know, when you're in the office, like I used to write it off and be like, it's just kind of how I am. Like, I'm just, I'm just hot natured or whatever the case is. But mm -hmm. I noticed that like when I get nervous, like my whole body, like I'm in fight or flight. I, my whole like body is off and mm -hmm. it kept, it continued to happen even when, you know, we're working from home. And so I started to realize, like, I started to try to like, like you mentioned earlier and you said, um, at some point you have to sort of take a step back and like almost like self-diagnose. And I started to realize mm -hmm. that part of the reason was because I'm already expecting the worst. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting myself to fail. I'm expecting mm -hmm. myself not to do well, even though I put in the preparation, like I've done, mm -hmm. I'm ready. Like there's nothing that's like necessarily new is going to happen. Yeah. And there's like, way more times that I've actually like felt that way and done just fine in a presentation or like the mm -hmm. client's been like, Oh yeah, this is great. Cool. Thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, 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 all those positive moments are like thrown out the window. Like, but mm -hmm. I keep holding on to the negative stuff. And, um, you know, something that you said in there was like changing that cycle of your, your own mindset. And so I just wanted mm -hmm. to say that that like that clicked too, because I'm like actively trying to like reframe some of these, uh, situations where I catch myself. I'm like, wait, I've actually done this before. Like, why am I stressing out so much? Like, what's happening? And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm still working on that, too. Yeah, there was like, um, there was something I was reading. Um, I wish I could remember it exactly. But I think the effect of it was um, when we're thinking, when we're like um, thinking about things we've done or like, or like reactions that people might have or even have had. I think like, for instance, like something that you embarrass, like something that you feel embarrassed about and like you assume that, you know, they felt this way about it. And it's this thing where it's like, well, hold on. Like what, where's your evidence? Right. Right. Like where, where's your evidence that they feel this way? Is it that like you, they've said it or you've seen something that would indicate that, or have you, are you projecting what you imagine this behavior to result in, in their mind? And it's like, um, I think people naturally just don't care about stuff as nearly as much as we do. I think like, <laughs> right. even like, you know, you think about putting your clothes on and it's like, um, you know, you're looking in the mirror and you're like tightening up, you're like pulling up your socks a little bit because the sock looks better pulled up like that instead of scrunched out or like whatever. Um, and you go out and like, nobody, like, no, people don't notice as much <laughs> as you all. do at all. I mean, um, in total, you know, obviously put good fit on and whatever, but it's like, we are hyped aware of ourselves in any space in a way that like we are just one person and everyone else doesn't feel the same <laughs> yeah. like they are not as enamored with us or not as like our their, their bar for us isn't even the same as our ourselves um and uh yeah i think it's it's like um the the, the line of like you know where's the evidence mm. uh for this thing you think i think is a thing that's helped me yeah definitely well i mean i'm, I'm this is in my notes for good now. So I'll just keep <laughs> referring back to it. Um, so I wanted to circle back on the mentor thing, because you had mentioned, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding those people to sort of help guide you. And, and um, as far as helping you find your own style and tone. Um, mm -hmm. So have you had, you know, uh, mentors throughout your career? Um, and, you know, if so, how'd you find them? Yeah, I definitely have. And I think um, in different capacities, I think there was a black professor I had at UF who introduced me to like, he was my only black male professor ever, mm. uh, black professor or teacher or anything. And so, um, you know, I would go to his office hours and like, he probably recognized that same thing. It was like, you know, always looking out for me. 
And he introduced me to the MATE program, which I didn't know about and like wrote my letter of rec and all of that. Uh, and so he was super helpful for me. And then when I got to JWT, uh, literally as soon as I got off the elevators, like there's a black guy there, uh, Kenny Thacker, who's done a bunch of stuff in the industry. Um, but uh, he saw me, came over, we like in like from that point on, he was like looking out for me. And I think there's, it's this funny thing of, um, there's obviously so many disadvantages of being black in advertising, but one of its advantages is that um, when you do find people, like black people, they want to help you. Like yeah. they want to look out for you. And I think that's an advantage uh, when you like, you know, um, you know, meet these people and like follow up and like you stand out. Uh, and so um, there's been situations like that. I got uh, connected. I mean, I think a lot of them is come by happenstance and then just me following up. I think you have these conversations with people and um, so many people just don't follow up. They're like, hey, I'll hit you. And like, they don't. And I think I just found reasons to to hit these people up and like, hey, I read that book you recommended and it was like, um, like I felt this way about it or like, um, you know, every so often like, hey, we haven't caught up. Um, and I think I'm still kind of trying to get better at that. And um, in the, the pandemic, actually, it's been a, a little easier where it's like, oh, like, it's more casual to get on a Zoom. So it's so it's like, hey, like you want to catch up, um, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's it, it can be tough, but I think you just put a little bit of effort into it, and it'll it'll work itself out. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to shift a little bit um, and talk a little bit about strategy, um, and then then we'll get into like the the last uh, sort of part of it, but. Um, what is your personal like definition of what a strategist strategist is or what a strategist does? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many different kinds, which makes the question tricky. There's like uh, brand planners, there's comms planners, mm -hmm. social strategists in some cases. Uh, I think for me, it's, it's really just being able to um, absorb a lot of, disparate elements of like what's happening in culture what's happening in the category what's happening with the brand and, and understanding people and then being able to like bring them all together to put together something really creatively interesting i think our whole job is uh, we're one of the main pieces of our job is to inspire smart creative and so i think um so much attention can be put on um you know, making some a brief that sounds feels really smart or important or whatever. Um, but if it's not inspiring, if it's not doesn't sound creatively interesting, then it's just not going to do its job. So I think I work super closely with our, with my CD on this um, and just trying to to make. I think I've I've gotten to the point where I've like I'm finally out of that phase of like trying to be impressive. Like I'm, I'm, I'm less, much less concerned with being impressive and much more concerned with being effective. Mm. Uh, and so uh, if that means like blunting some sentences to be less heady, then I do that. And I try to do that as much as I can. Okay. Well, let's keep going with the creative brief. So um, what takes a creative brief from good to pretty good to, okay, this is great. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think something I've noticed is, is um, there are kind of natural conclusions that you can come to for like a lot of categories. Like there's like, um, 
And so the briefs that end up being uninteresting for me um, it are ones that are just lead you towards just kind of a natural, like, oh, I, that makes so much sense that like, yes, obviously we, they should talk this way. And I think um, the, for me, my, my, the best briefs that I've written, in my opinion, are the, the ones that find ways to, to hit on just a thing that people were overlooking and just weren't really considering. And I think um, that's obviously gets um, tough to find sometimes, and you, sometimes you don't always find it. Um, but I think I, for me, I just, I look, I try to look in unexpected places like, you know, lyrics and uh, on a tweet and, um, you know, what's happening on, um, um, you know, some other website, like just I, I, like the places I mine, I try to go to, I, I try not to stay in the same kind of like mental reports or like in uh, X, HBR or whatever. And like those places are helpful. And I had like, I have those in my disposal. Um, but I think oftentimes you just get to more interesting places when you go looking in different places. And so finding ways to understand a situation and understand that like, like for instance, there is this um, uh, anti-drinking and driving campaign that was very much talking about, like you think about drinking and driving campaigns, it's like all about responsibility. Like, you know, um, how, can, how can we convince a person to be as responsible? It's like, don't be a dumbass, that sort of thing. And just realizing that when a person is getting in the car behind the wheel, most often they think they're being responsible. Like it, it's, it's like, there's that percentage of people who are just reckless. Right. But right. then for most people, like you had a couple of whiskey gingers, like you, you like had a beer after and like, you like, Oh, margarita too. And then you just like, I'm good. It, like the, it's the, I'm good. That is the issue. It's mm -hmm. the, it's, it's a confidence issue. It's not a responsibility issue. Right. Uh, and so, it's just things like that where it's like, how are people talking about this? And like, what are they missing? And, or what are, what's advertising missing about the subject? Uh, and so for me, I try to find those sort of, of like left turns to even, I mean, a lot of people think about creative is like creative is a place where the left turn happens. Well, it's like, if you can start it off in a more interesting space with a brief, then the work's obviously going to be a lot better. Yeah. Um, well, I was actually just about to ask you, like, what are some of your go-to sources for inspiration? But I think you handled that one. Um, have there been any, like, foundational books or articles or courses you've taken that really changed the way you sort of um, viewed strategy or even your approach to it? It's bits and pieces from everywhere, honestly. I think um, I'm by nature like a hoarder but in the sense of like my notes on my phone is just full of little clips of little things um so uh, you know I'll, I'll like use the pocket app on online and like you can like save digitally save articles and things to the pocket <clears throat> and so i don't know I, I think little there are all of these little sentences that like explain a thing or like help me see a, a, something a little bit differently and i, I just save them and use i don't know over time just collect these little things and and I mean there's a, a lot of cool books out there and a lot of advertising I I I haven't read advertising books as much anymore um they're a lot are useful I think for me I just like like to be more of a scavenger than like a um like a student e uh, I don't know if that's the right analogy but you, you get it I get you 
Um, actually, speaking of your notes, and this is the last sort of like, let's ask Donovan all the questions. Question. Um, so I did a little stalking, and okay. th throughout your website, you use these napkin notes. Um, and sometimes they're like insight something, sometimes they're explanations, sometimes they're references to other things. So I wanted to ask, how did, how did you start, um, you know, coming up with those and, and publishing them? Yeah. So, I mean, that came from the same sort of thing as like, I, again, I just have like a bunch of notes in my phone and, um, some are like quotes, some are thoughts that I have, uh, and, uh, it's almost like a nerdy diary. Um, but I think I got to a point where like, ah, I want to, I want to make a website. I made an old one in like, I don't know, as like a senior in college or something. And it was super shitty. Mm. And so I was like, you know, I wanted to make an, I wanted to make a proper one. And for a strategy, it's this weird thing where it's like creatives obviously need an online portfolio strategists, maybe like some, some, some do, some don't. Uh, and there's always this weird, like, it's hard to, like for creatives, they can showcase what ran on TV or what ran on Instagram or what, you know, what existed in the world. Right. For strategists, so much of our stuff is behind the scenes and like not public information. And so it's hard to really showcase work that you've done, um, especially like succinctly, like you can't just press play on something. And so um, for, for me, I think for, for for strategy, if you're using it for, for instance, if you're using it for a job interview, like people, for strategists, they don't like, they want to understand how you think and how you write. And so for me, um, and like what kind of person, where your interests lie. And for me, like that was my way of like, I have tabs on um, lyrics from different albums and like my, like that covers for me specific ideas about like humanity or about um confidence or pride or whatever and i would i would write about that versus like the, the the artist and like these little short little paragraphs or like books and and um uh what's the other twitter uh i'm always on twitter and so um and so yeah for me it just became a i didn't it wasn't an idea i had exactly it was just like what can i do with the things that i have and how can i make it specifically me and interesting and it just kind of like got cobbled together like that gotcha okay so we are uh at the the, la the last section here so um before every episode uh i ask everybody you know what is something you're reading what's a challenge you're facing something you're proud of and a piece of advice for uh people who listen so first up is what are you reading right now yeah, uh, I'm reading a couple a couple things. Um, one is Such a Fun Age, um, which is a book I've been reading for long, and and um, but uh, it's really really good. It's by this uh, black woman whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but it came from like uh, my girlfriend calling me out for not reading enough black women, mm. uh, which is like real like I, I think you it, it's 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 such a funny thing how you can just not notice that like you have this gap like i've read like james baldwin and like you know read the barack obama uh like dreams from our father and like all these sort of things but like haven't really read much from black women so like i got like i bought a tony morrison book and um uh that one um but and then i'm also reading uh i read i had this like big kind of uh, the best of Lewis Carroll, which I think there's something from that on the website. Um, but I'd read Al the Alice in Wonderland part of it. 
um, and I'm now I'm reading the through the looking glass part of it. Um, and for me, <clears throat> I don't know. I used to be super nonfiction. Like I used to be just like Malcolm Gladwell and like behavioral economics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I still enjoy that stuff, but um, I've started to to really notice how much, um, particularly for what I do um, in novels and in fiction how there's just this texture to humanity that gets written about that's just like, um, it just really helps you understand, like you notice a lot of just like little ticks about people. And um, I think obviously it's an enjoyable read from, but from a, like a, a planner perspective, there's so much to be pulled from those sort of books, particularly, um, particularly children's books for me. Cause I think there's a, um, there's a, there's a level of, of craft and writing something that's actually pretty profound, but in a way that, in a manner that children can digest and like there's a simplicity to it. Yeah. Um, but the thought is really good. It's kind of like when you watch like a kid's movie and like on the surface, the kids are like, oh, that's really cool. But you're just like, wow, they're talking about fatherhood in this yeah. complicated way that like, oh, like Lion King wasn't really about uh, the Hukuna Matata was the exact opposite of what the movie was about. It was about identity and like all these other things. Uh, and so I think books are the same way where there's all these little like things like that, um, that uh, I don't know, are, are cool. And it's just nice to read something nostalgic right now because it's just simple and the world's difficult enough. No, for sure. I, uh, I knew someone who at one point <laughs> during my internship told me, explain it like your deck should explain like you should be able to explain this to me like i'm six years old like i need to mm -hmm. get it like don't don't do all that other stuff um yeah also funny like i love james baldwin i am like on my way to collecting all of his writings i have like so many of his books and i haven't read them all yet but um i actually like just uh, i didn't order it yet but it's like on my wish list on amazon i have like mm. four tony morrison books on there because oh nice I, I watched a video where she was interviewing him and they were they had this banter and i was like how haven't i read her before so now I'm yeah, like, yeah yeah next on the list yeah. um what's something that's a that's a challenge for you right now um man just making it it's <laughs> i don't like life is tough uh, the world yeah. is nuts. I think, um, I think I'm, I've gotten, I'm, I'm trying to celebrate wins more. Mm. Um, cause I think I, by nature, I'm the kind of person that, um, like I don't sit and be satisfied very often. Like, cause I have just it's such a high bar for myself and like, I'm like pushing toward a certain output and like, I do a bunch, but it's like, even with the diversity work, like you can do like 10 things, but because you're looking at the, the, the goalposts, it's like, you don't really care about these first downs. And it's like, I'm trying to get there and like, we're not there yet. Right. Uh, and I think while obviously that is fuels kind of an engine to keep going, um, it also gets exhausting when like, you don't actually take time to appreciate and be proud of yourself and like those sort of things. So um, <clears throat> trying to be more mindful of like, I even like at one point like wrote a list, like wrote a, a physical list of like all of the things I had done in McGarrett Jesse to push diversity forward. And it's like, it became this long list and it's like, whoa, I didn't even, I wasn't, I didn't even think I had done this much, but this is actually, this is actually quite a bit. Right. Um, so I think now, especially when it's so, like, 
the world is so draining, I think, um, you know, taking time to celebrate yourself is helpful and just like, I don't know, keeping you motivated and happy. Yeah. Well, this may or may not be related, but what's something that you're really proud of right now? Um, I think I'm, I'm super proud of the stuff with ad color, like both the, the, the relief recruiters and the solution sessions. Like, I think those are two things that didn't exist, um, before like, uh, like my committee on the board. And so, um, like making those and like really driving them forward. Uh, I'm like super proud of it. Yeah. And then, uh, last thing is what, uh, is a piece of advice that you would give to black students who listen to your episode? Um, man, this is a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> I have black students in my, like their lives. Uh, I think, um, so like I said, I'm, I'm reading, um, like the, through the looking glass now, but there was like a, a, a line in, um, Alice in Wonderland where, um, the narrator is kind of talking about Alice and, and Allison basically saying that, um, you know, she generally gave herself very good advice. Um, but she seldom followed it. And mm. sometimes she scolded herself so severely uh, as to bring tears into her eyes. Um, and it's this, I don't know, advice is so fickle. And, and I think um, we know, we have a lot of this, like things that we know what's, what we need to do. And then it's like, you don't end up doing it. It's kind of like going to the gym. I'm like, I know I, I, that's, that's what I need to be doing, but I'm not doing it. And I'm, yeah. now I'm feeling bad about myself. Uh, and so extend that to whatever it is that like in your career, in your uh, schoolwork or whatever. Um, and I think, I think there's, um, and there was this thing that, that someone wrote about Kanye was that like, we need to find a, a better word for account of both accountability and compassion. Mm. Um, and I think like that, I think we think about compassion in terms of, we're taught to use it for others, but not really taught to use it for ourselves. Mm. And I think, um, you know, I guess my advice would just be find ways to be compassionate with yourself and, and both compassionate and accountable. So it's not just like do whatever it's like have both. But to your point about like, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, not doing well in the presentation or like you have all these things in your mind, like going, like you're, you're being very hard on yourself. And I think that's, propped up is this um skill kind of this like you know that's how you become great is to like be so hard on yourself and have this it's like you got to be compassionate about to yourself like be nice to you yeah. um and uh especially now so i guess i don't know that that would be that would be my advice i like it i like it um uh, where can people find you online um my website is donovantriplet.com and my, I guess, Twitter is, is Donovan two underscores X. Gotcha. Well, that is a wrap for this episode of Paid Forward. So Donovan, uh, this has been amazing. Um, thank you again. Um, like I said, even with the intro story, I just feel like, um, you know, we haven't really, I don't think we really talked since that like first LinkedIn message. And then when we talked the other day, but I mean, you know, um, when I was sort of, facing like really a shaky like a future um you know even even if it took you five minutes out of your day it really sort of steadied me and like helped me so again thank you for everything uh thank you for talking to me today yeah super glad to be here and um appreciate it
Awesome. And to anyone listening, please rate, review, like, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, wherever, wherever you listen to them. You can find out more about the podcast in general at Pay It Forward Podcast on social channels, and the forward is FWD. Or check me out on the website, which is payitforwardpodcast.com. Peace.